0: It's always been a little tricky getting that volume right. Hello everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Files Radio. I'm your host, Steve Pisa. We have another excellent episode for you today. We have Lee McDermott today. Great guy. Stunt man, stunt choreographer, actor. Fantastic gent. Can't wait to talk to So welcome, 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 welcome. I hope you're enjoying your Sunday morning, beautiful Sunday morning. We're going to have the Super Bowl coming up very soon between two horrible teams, the Seattle Seahawks and uh, (laughs) the England Patriots. I know, I'm going to get a lot of flack for that. Both teams are cheaters, so I'm not looking forward to this very much. But I'll watch it. It's fine. Deflatable balls. Horrible USC background. Both, both teams, both, both uh, coaches have horrible backgrounds. Horrible. So, I'm not looking forward to this game at all. But that's not what this show is about. This show is about cinema and media and what have you. So, let's about talk about things that, that we enjoyed this week. What did you enjoy this week? See any good movies? I think I have to clarify something up a little bit. I mentioned last week about the interview... And I got a couple people saying, listen, I didn't want to watch the interview, but since you said something about the interview, now I want to watch it. Here's here's my thing when it comes to movies and opinions. I was listening to somebody last night. She was uh, 28 years old. And she was talking about movies and cinema and this kind of thing. And it's difficult when you're talking to somebody over the phone because you're not really... Getting a gist of what they're talking about, you don't look them in the eyes, so you don't have any inflection. You hear the inflection in your voice, but you can't see the face, so it's very difficult to have these kind of conversations with people on the phone. This is somebody I've known for a very long time. We were talking about Birdman, and she was saying how much she hated it, and I was telling her how much I liked it, and she started to argue with me, and I said, No, no, that's that's not how this is going. to I'm not going to argue with you. I know why I like this film and why you don't like this film. It doesn't work that way. And I'll I'll tell you why. Because it's kind of like saying, you like strawberries, I don't like strawberries. Why don't you convince me of why I don't like strawberries? You don't like strawberries. Um, Here's the thing about Birdman. You can say you don't like the film, but you can't say it's not a good film. You can't say that the film wasn't masterfully created or masterfully acted. You can say you don't like it. A lot like There Will Be Blood. You can say, you know, I didn't like There Will Be Blood. You know, that movie was uh, boring to me. You can say anything you want, and, and I will respect your answer. But what I will not respect is when somebody says, that movie sucked, that movie was horribly made. Really? There Will Be Blood was a horribly made movie? Really? I can understand why it's boring. I can understand why you didn't get with it. I can understand why uh, some of the parts just eluded you. I can understand a lot of things. What I can understand is somebody saying about a P.T. Anderson film, is like it's, it sucked, that movie sucked, it was horrible. Like uh, Inherent Vice. Um, no, it wasn't horrible. Do you want to put it on the list of 10 best and worst films of P.T. Anderson, they're still better than 98% of what other directors create. <laughs> put things in perspective, boys and girls. Don't just slam people because it's convenient. Look at the big picture. Look at the big picture. Birdman was a good film. I really, really enjoyed it. Is, is it going to make everybody feel the same way? No. Why should it? Chocolate doesn't make you feel the same way. Why should it? So, yeah. Birdman. I really enjoyed a great deal. Now, back to the interview. Now, this person said to me, he said, Listen, I didn't want to watch this film, but since you mentioned it last week, now I don't want to watch the film. I am going to give you my opinions on films. This is just something... I'm, I'm not... I don't have a shortage of opinions when it comes to things I like and things that I don't like. But you're going to hear me give you my opinions about films. And... You would be a sucker to listen to it without a grain of salt. For instance, if I say I don't like a film, and then you don't want to see that film because of somebody else's opinion. Can you imagine if somebody said that about Reservoir Dogs? You know when, when Blade Runner came out, it was bagged on, it was made fun of, it was trashed by a lot of people. A lot of people. So Blade Runner was a film that people had to come back from 10 to 20 years later on to say that that is a masterpiece. So that being said, be very careful about what you say about films. I mean, yeah, of course, I didn't like that film. Go watch it. Give me your opinion. That's the way it should work. And I hear these two people arguing about Birdman, but one person likes it, one person doesn't like it. What does it matter? Go watch the film. Tell me what you think about it later. Don't don't give me your advice or your thoughts. I want to see action. Go see the film. You, you like movies. Do you like cinema? you like um, good acting? Go watch Birdman. Do you like exocentric storytelling? Do you like um, display storytelling? Do you like storytelling that's not linear? You're not going to like this film. It's not a linear film. There's nothing about it that's linear. It's more like a Waiting for Guffman or uh, Being John Malkovich. It's more of a Spike Jones type film. So, I really enjoyed it a great deal. So, go watch Birdman. Now, back to the interview. I watched the interview last night again for the fifth time. Did I like it? Yes. Did I love it? Yes. Did I think certain parts of it were gratuitous or not necessary? Uh, Spoiler alert. The finger part at the end of the movie, the fingers part, and you'll know what I'm talking about when you see the film. That was the only part I had a disagreement with. The other gratuitous violence I had zero problems with. Like When I watched Pineapple Express, I thought that violence was crazy. Personally, I thought it was way out of whack. But when I watched this film, it reminded me a lot of what. De- I just imagined, what would Dennis Rodman be with with Kim Jong Un. What would he be like, and what would Kim Jong Un say to him as well? How would he behave like this properly? <laughs> a little insane and a little it re- If you watch the film, if you if you watch uh, if you watch this film, you're going to see what I'm talking about. For instance. When you watch the end of the film, you're going to hear the Scorpions play. The Scorpions were the first, one of the first heavy metal bands to ever play in Soviet Russia. I was in Sicily as a, as a young man when the Scorpions were in were in Soviet Russia to play their, their band. So that was a it was a huge deal to have them break the break the uh, you know the the, the, uh, the Kremlin wall, the the, the the Russian wall, and get over to the evil empire. And it was a great thing. It was a great thing. And then when you watch the end of the movie, the, the song's playing by the Scorpions. And I'm wondering, about, it's called Gorky Park, and I'm wondering how many people are understanding that basically they're talking about communism and the end of communism. How communism is almost a joke nowadays. I mean, comparatively speaking, this is the you know, 50s, I don't know, 40s. So I thought it was a funny one. I, I laughed out loud funny. Do I think it's one of the best films ever made? No. But how many movies do you can you tell me that are made about North Korea? Please. And uh, don't give me that that racist comment. Oh, that's a racist movie. Really? That's a racist movie? That's a racist movie. Not Marco Polo, where they try to find every Asian on the planet that didn't mix with, with Mongolians. So everybody looks like Thai and Chinese and Japanese. They're all like... Thin. I mean... Trust me, for me, the only thing, the only people I believe that America feels completely comfortable being racist against are Asians. Mostly because Asians are very meek, they hold themselves back, they don't put themselves out in the open like that, and they usually don't fight back the way that Americans fight back. So if I thought this movie was racist, I would have shut that thing down. But no, I didn't think it was racist. Not personally. Did I think that it was poking fun at North Korea? Yeah, but North Korea should be poked fun of, the same way America should be poked fun of. We make so many movies about America making fun of ourselves. I mean, it's almost a, a sport. So go watch it. The interview. I enjoyed it. I very much enjoyed it. What other movies have I seen that I've very, very, very much enjoyed? I mentioned last week, same thing again, John Wick. If you've not seen John Wick, you are making a mistake. John Wick is a great film. Is a story fantastic? No. I think if you took the equalizer story and put it into John Wick, at least in the first five minutes, it would have been a much better film. That being said, it is a movie in its own arena, its own classification. You can't. You really can't fit some of the choreography in this film, whereas the interview to me kind of revolutionized satire to a certain extent. At least it brought it back to the forefront because journalism is almost dead. So I really enjoyed that. This movie is is, is a little different. This movie is bringing choreography into a brand new hemisphere. If you thought that the Wachowski brothers and 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 the the Matrix movies were Bringing choreography and martial arts to a brand new level, And then John Wick was absolutely bringing martial arts and choreography and fighting and gunkata and the whole thing it was crazy. It was enjoyable, and he's great in the film. He's really great in the film. So John, John Wick, I really, really, really enjoyed it. Some of the choreography, I'm just going to steal. <laughs> Now, what movie am I going to see in next week? I can't wait to see Kingsman by Michael Vaughn. That's what I want to see. So, looking forward to that for, for next week, Kingsman. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what's happening on. How about you? What movies or shows have you been watching this past week or this past month? Give us a call, 657-383-1444. We're going to be having uh, Lee McDermott on very, very soon. But before we do that, let's play a little song. And I want to hear from you. 657 383 1444. Four, four. Call in. Let me know what you think of these movies. Let me know what your favorite movie is. What is your favorite movie? And what did you think about the film? I want to know what you think of these films. Now, opinions are fantastic, they're just like armpits usually have two, and they usually stink. <laughs> but I, lo- I really would love to hear from you. So give me a call. 657 We have the great Lee McDermott on today, so stay tuned. a dime. Now, who doesn't like Rihanna? Rihanna, Diamonds, written by the great Sienna. That's a great, great song. We have a great guest on today, just like we do every single week. Lee McDermott, we've been waiting to have him on for, for quite a long time now. Uh, very happy to have him here today. We're going to put on the specials for this guy. There you go. Hello Lee.
1: Hey Steve, how are you?
0: How you doing, sir? Doing good?
2: I'm good, I'm good. Oh. God, people are here.
0: <laughs> so Lee, we, we, we met before uh on, on a on commercial that you we know, were doing with Sean Piccinino and, and Tommy and what have you, but you're also doing a lot of stunt choreography for Six Feet Down Under and what have you. But before we get to any of that stuff, let's let's go back to where Lee McDermott started. So so Lee where are you from originally?
1: Originally, I'm from Glasgow, Scotland. I was born born in Glasgow, which is a working class city, one of the sort of, three big cities in, in Scotland. Uh, I was born there, raised there, um, started my martial arts career there at the age of 10. Um, regular life, you know, um, went to school, great family, friends, the usual sort of thing. Um, but I really, you know, spent most of my youth uh, training uh, martial arts and teaching at the age of 15, so, you know, that was my that was my youth. That was my early early years, as such.
0: Well, let's stop there. You, you, doing martial arts in Glasgow, I'm pretty sure a, a thousand people don't associate martial arts with, with with Scotland, Glasgow, even though that's a ridiculous statement to make in the first place. So, so sure. tell me, how many style? I mean, come on, martial arts is everywhere. How many styles did you have in your near town, and and how how did you get involved in it?
1: Well, at the time, um, you know, this is going back to the 1980s, so. Glasgow and Scotland in general had your traditional arts, you had your karate, your shoking can, you had taekwondo, um, judo was pretty much all that was available. Kung Fu wasn't really in the country at that point. Um, you know, so I actually started um old school traditional Taekwondo at the age of ten, um, with uh, my original instructor it was a uh, amazing guy called Michael Krauss. Um, he was a European no-contact so taekwondo champion at the time, and um, at 10 years of age, I started training with him, and, you know, it just went from there.
0: Wow. So, 10 years old, you already knew that you would love the martial arts, and you got involved in that, doing sport taekwondo from there. So, so martial arts was definitely a, a base for you in, in your life. Did you have any Absolutely. plans on what you wanted? I mean, it's kind of hard to say at 10 years old what you want to do with martial arts, but did you have an idea of what you wanted, at least black belt or something like that? Was that in your mind?
1: Well, yeah, no, it's funny you say that because, I mean, I was bullied as a kid at school, you know, so I had a lot of problems in school just with bullies because Glasgow's a tough city, it's a tough place to grow up in, right. and the reason I started martial arts was purely for self-defense, um, so there was a real need for self-defense at that that time in my life, um, but once I kind of got to a certain point, I realized that I loved training, I loved teaching, um, you know, I loved everything about it, and, and I really wanted to make it my career, so... You know, I was fortunate enough that I was with a fantastic instructor in Michael. And um, he had um, gotten involved with Dan and Santo at the time. So we were trying to make a Kali and jump Sanji Ji and Thai boxing and all these other arts. So between sort of 12 and 15, you know, my, my martial arts education took a real steep curve upwards with all these different styles I was being exposed to. And uh, I was just, you know, for want of a better term, in the right place at the right time with the right people. And, um, that was a catalyst for my, my love for martial arts and my love for teaching. And, um, you know, I started assistant coaching at 15 and, um, started teaching, you know, by the time I was 19, I had two schools.
0: Really? So you, you started, so you started teaching when you were young and then then yes. you created your own style? Is that what you said?
1: Well, no, no, I, I didn't create my own style, but at the, at the age of 15, I started coaching under, under Michael. And then by the time I was 19, I had three schools. I three schools all of my own um that I was teaching. And at that point I moved wow. from Glasgow up north to the north of Scotland in Inverness. So I moved to Inverness and I started coaching up there. And I was coaching Cali, mm-hmm. the John Sanji Quonbo, Thai boxing, um, cool. you know, the, the Filipino martial arts, the Cali Escrema. And uh, I spent ten years in Inverness um coaching up there. But it was in that time that I took my first journey to America and I came out to America in nineteen ninety three to study with Dan in Santo up in Maria del Rey, not here.
0: did Dan, um, Dan Santo? Yes. Grandmaster yes. Dan and is a great man. I've known him for quite a long time. Yeah, he's he's a great he's man. Phenomenal.
1: He's a phenomenal yeah. individual. You know? He yes. was fifty I was fifteen. Yeah, I was fifteen when I first met him and I was just blown away by everything about him and I still am to this day. I mean there's there's you know one point of mind to be respected. Man. Yes, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Dude, there's a lot of phonies out there in the world, and Dan Santo is not one of them. No. No, he's, like, he's, amazing,
1: 90,
0: he's an amazing... Sorry. Yeah, he is, isn't he? I mean, even when you see people attack him throughout his career, I mean, he still mm-hmm. stayed a gentleman. And a lot of people attacked him after after he left, the, you know, after Jeet G- do du- G- du- Nucleus had a problem, and there was a split sure. up, and what have you, and... He stayed very honorable. He stayed very close. Uh, Linda Lee and, 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 and what have you, You know, she and I have spoken before many times. And mm-hmm. and, and what's most important really is that the art stays true to the way Bruce Lee really wanted to be. Bruce Lee died fairly young. So Don sure. Asante is a great example of how that works. So tell me about your, your experience with him and, and how that worked out.
1: Well, you know, Guru Dan came to Scotland I think in 1984, 85 was his first trip to Scotland and I, I was at the seminar oh. and I, I met him. Um, so I was like 15 at the time. So every year we'd come to Scotland to teach and I would always be there. And, um, you know, I loved it, loved the style, trained really hard, you know, really was passionate about, um, you know, what he taught and what he, he stood and represented. And, um, you know, I asked his his wife, Paula, um, if I could come train at the academy in, in California. And she said, okay, fine. A week later, because i I've been planning this for a while, a week later, I, was, I found myself in California for the first time, totally overwhelmed at the vast 405 freeway and, and how crazy this place is. Um, but it was great, and Guru, Guru Dam was always humble. He was always very welcoming. He took time to, uh, you know, but um, in class to teach me and help me with, you know, techniques I was having issues with. And You know, he was just amazing. I've got nothing but the utmost respect for him. He's probably one of the greatest martial artists I've ever Never breathed, in, in my opinion, just not because of his technical yeah. skill, but his historical knowledge, the way he teaches. I can't yeah. say enough good things.
0: That's fantastic. So you came out here in America in 1993, is what you said?
1: Yeah, I came out in 1993 originally. I stayed for three months just to teach and train. Um, but I've been, I, was te- I was training at the National Academy, and uh, I was teaching um, some friends that I met while I was here. And then I came back mm-hmm. in 94 again to, to create the academy again. And then I came back in 1999 and, and stayed permanently.
0: And I've been here ever since. That's awesome. So let me ask you a question. You know, a lot of people wonder when they take martial arts and what have you, is what am I going to do with this for the rest of my life? Some people will be instructors. Some people will know in dojos. Some people will try to be lifers in the martial arts. And some people will use it for other factors. Now, you obviously mm-hmm. went towards the acting stuntman choreography arena. At what age did that start to kick in that that might be a forte for you? You know, it's
1: really strange. Um, I was in Scotland, and they were filming the this sort of New of time, and there was a radio program on Believe It or Not, and they were talking about, you know, the new Star Wars movies being filmed in London and they're doing all these Jedi fights and stuff. And I was there. I was like, you know what? That would be really neat. I would love to do something like that. But at that point in time, I had no clue. I was an inverness in Scotland. I had no idea how the movie business worked. I had no idea how to get started, how to get in. I just had a seed planted in the back of my mind. I was like, you know what you know, I've done all this training, um, what am I gonna do with it? And it was just years it was years later that this actually came to fruition. But it was that moment that I thought to myself, that would be a really awesome thing to do and, and to channel my skill and energy towards because you're you're creating something for people to enjoy. It's a positive um, outlet for skills that are, for the most part, unless you're in a self-defense situation, um, not required anymore. You know, the wars aren't fought the way they were fought centuries ago, so the skills that we, we acquire, you know, they're historically accurate and they're very relevant um, for a lot of different things, but you don't see armies, you know, square off the swords and shields anymore. It just doesn't happen. So where else, if you right. an interest in these type of art forms, and you express them in a, in a medium which is going to be uh, you know, enjoyed by, by millions of people, hopefully, and so is so the way.
0: Well, I'll tell you, Lee, the first time I ever felt comfortable as a writer, I went to go see uh, Phantom of the Opera, and I was 15 years old, and I, I was watching it, and I'm like, I, I can do this. I, I can write this. I can write the music, but I can write the play very easily, write the dialogue very easily. Was there any movie that you saw in your lifetime? when you were young, that went, I can do that. I, I can choreograph this. I can stunt this. I can do this. Was there any film that did that to you?
1: There was, I mean, there was obviously, um, you know, the, the like Braveheart, for example. I actually visited Braveheart. I visited the set where it was being filmed, and I watched the stunt guys rehearse. And I saw the rehearsal, saw what they were doing. I was like, man, I can easily... But right in there. I could slide in there and, and be part of that team, no problem. But again, at that time, I had no clue how to get involved, but I saw it and thought, you know, that would be great, that would be awesome. I could do that. Um, mm. you know, again, watching the Star Wars movies and the choreography there, I thought that's great stuff. I could definitely do that. And pretty much, you know, sword movies in general, and you see stuff like that, when you have an education um, in systems and in, in um, how, how fights work you can see and, and appreciate like the wonderful things that people do and you can also see where you would maybe do something a little bit different. Um, just because it's your vision how you you know how you see things. And like you mentioned earlier you were talking about John Wick and I totally agree with you. John Wick is a phenomenal film and it's um the choreography is <sighs> fantastic and, and that was from Chad. Chad trained at the Central Academy and the yes. one of the Chad's choreography is is everything is, is character based, the way I like to see it and his techniques and what he puts together closer to realism than not, which I like. You know, these are techniques and things in choreography. You could see someone with a level of skill pulling off, um, and, and I love that, and I love that sort of thing. But, you know, um, I think you're right. You know, John Wick is definitely set a new standard for, for choreography, but it also keeps the balance between, you know, a certain element of realism, and, and that's, you know, it's those types of movies that, you know, get my juices flowing.
0: Right, Indeed. right. I, I, I thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoy the film. It, it, what's funny is, is that I watched that and I watched um, the Equalizer sh- uh, right after that, and it was by Antoine Foucault with, with uh, the great Denzel Washington. And when uh-huh. he was doing his killing throughout the film, it was basically, I'm gonna kill him with a saw. I'm gonna kill him with a drill. I'm gonna kill him with this. I'm gonna kill him with that. So it was more about Michael Myers picking the best weapon to kill that innocent human being with. Uh, opposed to right. John Wick, these guys have all got guns. They're all ready to kill you, and he's just doing his job. So it, it felt right. a little bit more justified to a certain extent. It was very strange. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the film, and I really liked the the choreography and, and how it was all put together, and and also you know the, the the humanity of the of the character, you know, and how he, you know, just just how he evolved and how he was so amazing at what he did. How he didn't want to engage in a fight, but once he was committed, that was it. It was done, and there was no turning right. back. And that it was a great, great way to put the character across in my mind.
0: Oh, it's fantastic! And, and I'm, I'm hoping that, that you and I and, and the rest of the team can create something equally as beautiful in the future, if not right now. Uh, but let's go, let's go back a little bit. Uh, let's go back to your credits here. So, what was the first thing that you did that uh, that was a credible acting job, or choreography, or stunt work?
1: You know what? I, I, again, it it's, it it goes back to I believe the universe um, opens up the doors for people if you have a positive attitude and you you have a desire in your heart and you do the right things. And it's a really um, funny story how I got involved in the business. And I joke about it to people. It's like I fell into it by accident, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I was actually working a, in a regular job, and um, I just happened to meet you know a customer, and I was helping you know this lady who happened to be the wife of um a man called Dan Ballinger. Dan Ballinger is the assistant coordinator for Pirates of the Caribbean.
0: No, I know who um, he is, yeah.
1: Master, master commander Dan, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful man. Um again, another one of these human beings that I met that I'm so glad. Um I can call him a friend. But he you know, I met his wife and just started chatting and um, you know, she mentioned that her husband was in the stunt business and that was that Epiphany that can goes back to that moment years before when I thought about the Star Wars Wait, thing.
0: And I hold on a second. That, so you just happened to meet these people at, at a car wash as as you are working towards a stunt arena? I,
1: I so happened, you just happened I, I to meet happened, these people? I happened to meet Dan Banja's wife in a, in, a, in a store. I was in a store. I happened to meet her. And I was helping her. I was you know, helping her with some stuff. And she mentioned that her husband was in stunt business. And that's when I Said, wow, that's awesome. How do you, you know, get involved in that? Because I've always thought about it, which I had, I just had no clue how to get started. And she right. said, well, you know, my husband is in the middle of a project with Russell Crowe right now, and they're looking for some people who know how to use source to train all the background people for the background fights and background actions, the battle scenes.
2: Yeah, of here. Really?
1: Mhm. So she actually dragged her husband in and to my work to meet me and he met me, met me for about five minutes, gave me a number to call, and um I went for a screen test and an audition and um got hired to work on Master and Commander with Russell Crowe. And there was my yes. myself and four other guys were hired to train we had eleven days to train three hundred background extras to get on camera ready for Peter Weir. And um right. that was my very first gig which is incredible. I mean looking back on it now um, it was such an amazing start into into this industry because it was a learning curve. You know, I got on set and I was there. It's a multi multi million dollar film project. Yes. Um, you know, huge budget, huge action scenes, you know, fantastic actors, amazing stunt team and, and I, I went to school, you know, I I I got there. I had no previous awesome. experience in the film industry at all and just buckled down and, you know, brought Wide Butt to the table and uh, learned a lot in hopefully
0: contributed as well. Well, let me, let me get some questions about, about Master and Command. Because I actually really enjoyed that film. I, I'm a huge Russell Crowe fan. I really love him a great deal. First off, did you take the time to thank his wife afterwards uh, for, for the opportunity? Absol- That's number one.
2: Yes? Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: All the time. Unfortunately, she she passed away last year. Um, uh-huh. she, had, she developed cancer and which is really, really sad. But yeah, over the years, you know, I regularly kept both her and, and Dan what and name, always eternally grateful for her because if it wasn't for her, um, you know, basically speaking up for me and introducing me to Dan, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. I mean, that's the, that's the right. truth. So. What
0: a special person. That's That's an angel on your side right there. That's so special.
1: Uh, absolutely.
0: That's awesome. Oh, so. You're on the set, and this person gets you gets you in the gig, gets you with her husband, you're in there. Did you meet Russell Crowe, and what was your experience like with him?
1: Um, Russell, you know, I didn't work directly with Russell because we were hired mm. to do, um, right. you know, all the background stuff. So myself and the four other guys, we were kind of like a shield between the right. A-level actors and the stunt team and the background team. But I was in very close proximity with him within a few feet, and I got I got to watch him work very very closely. But set etiquette, you don't approach the main actors and talk and stuff.
0: But I mean, I I
1: worked with him closely in close proximity um, for about six weeks, and um, I think he's awesome. His his work ethic is second to none. Um, Mm -hmm. I watched him. There's a scene on the gun the gun deck, and um, Russell comes down in his Adidas tracksuit bottoms and stuff, and walks through a rehearsal. Now he does a walk-through once in this main fight where he um I think it was twenty three stunt guys. He had to kill in one shoot in one take. And uh, he came down, walked it through twice I think, uh mm-hmm. at the most. Um, said, Okay guys, I'll be back in ten mm-hmm. minutes, took off, got his wardrobe on, got ready, came back down and uh shot the master in, in one take. It was phenomenal. Wow. I mean too he he had obviously rehearsed it previously but um he was on the money the whole time. His his graphic, his his um, you know, ability to, you know, physically get the job done was, was very impressive and I know he gets a lot of bad bad press from people, but that's from people who don't know him or people who just they just wanna create stories. But he's a great guy. He was awesome with his stunt team, um, you know, just really hard working individual.
0: That's awesome. I I love hearing those very positive stories because I've always been a Russell Crowe fan myself. And I remember when he picked up that phone and hit that guy over the head a while back. Well, people don't realize, you know, people listen to these stories. And and what what people don't realize is that if you look at six stories, six stories will tell you something a little different. And the story that went around was that his wife was pregnant. There was an emergency at home. He tried to call her on the phone. This guy literally grabbed the phone out of his hand. To take the phone out of his hand as he had a rescue phone call for his wife, so he picked up the phone and hit the guy over the head with it because the guy was trying to sure. muscle the, the phone away from his hand. And I'm like, what do you think this guy is going to do? I mean, th- this guy is like bad in a thousand. You're, you're touching his hands, you're grabbing his body. He's going to hit you over the head with a phone. And plus, his wife is pregnant and he doesn't know what's happening. So, I find it very interesting. People like to judge other people for the situation they are in their lives, but. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, your consistent behavior is what makes you who you are, not not just in action. Absolutely.
1: Well, I'll tell you another story. There was, there was a rumor, there was a story that there was a bar fight in Mexico over there and that Russell Crowe had gotten this bar fight and this, that. It was all in the press. It was in the newspapers. Right. It never happened.
0: I remember. It, it, really? It never
1: happened. That, it never happened. He, he wasn't there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but everyone <laughs> believes it. People are so, you know, they have the Mark Wahlberg story where when he was a kid, he attacked the the, the, the Vietnamese guy. He was, in the, he was in the Vietnam War. And the one story that, that irks me about it is they keep on talking about how Mark Wahlberg took his eye out. And they keep on talking about it. He took his eye out, took his eye out, made him blind. He actually came out with a statement saying, I was blinded by the Vietnam War. This guy did not blind me. I was blinded by the war. And when I came to America, I was already blinded. So I feel bad that this human being spent his entire life thinking he blinded me. And what happens right now? They still make comments about how he blinded the man. So it seems to me a lot wow. of times that people don't want the truth a lot of times. They just really want to they wanna exercise their ability for free speech just to get some excitement. So when they talk about Russell Crowe, I'm like, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, Russell Crowe reminds me of Willem Dafoe. There's very little you can talk badly about these human beings. They don't do anything except for act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I
1: mean, and that was my <laughs> I, I judge people who, in, in terms of how they are when I meet them. I, I don't put a right. lot of um, weight on other people's opinions because, you know, just in life in general, I've heard, of, oh, well, this guy, watch out because of A, B, and C, and I meet the guy, right. and it's like, oh, well, this guy's awesome. This guy's wonderful. Right. So I don't put a lot of weight into other people's opinions, you know, too much because you yeah. just never know. Perception is skewed, and uh, you just never Thank know you. what's really going on behind things.
0: Let me ask you a question, now that we're on that, so we don't skip that. You're, you're absolutely, you are absolutely hit the nail on the head with perception there. What, what is your perception when you walk into a movie set, when you're about to see maybe stars you haven't seen before, haven't met before? It's kind of an intimidating situation. You will be in charge in some area. What is your perception when you walk into there? Do you usually keep a very positive attitude and walk in very strong, or do you see what it's like? What, what do you do?
1: But, I mean, I, you know, I generally like to treat people how I like to be treated. So when I ever meet new people in life, not just on a movie set, you know, I like to be, you know, pleasant, positive, welcoming, you know, upbeat. And, um, you know, when I walk onto a movie set, you know, I get I like to get to meet everybody. You know, typically it's the stunt team and the, and the main actors that I'm working with and the stunt coordinators if I've never worked with them before. And, you know, I, I kind of take a, a less and more approach. You know, I keep my mouth shut my eyes and ears open and I watch and I learn and I see what's needed and I see where I can help and fill in the gaps. And I always make sure I'm ready to assist and, and contribute when required. And and I think, um, you know, that's an approach that I'm comfortable with because it lets me go into relationships in a natural way, um, opposed to, you know, I'm not forcing myself on anybody. I'm here, I'm available, I'm here to do my job and, and let's just move forward and, and,
0: Get the day going. I never saw that as a big problem. I mean, you're an incredibly likable human being, so I'd never thought that uh, you'd have a problem communicating or, or having fun on set. You, you did a master and commander, the, the far side of the world. That, that was your your big big break right there. And then you did conquest, a TV series documentary in 2003 as well. Uh, you did yes. the episode crossbow and weapons of the ninja. How was how was that?
1: That was fun. That was a, a really fun fun shoot. Um, you know the the weapons of the ninja. Um, you know, at one point I remember being up a tree at four in the morning, dressed as a ninja, <laughs> about to assassinate this this guy. Uh, and it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's one of those surreal moments where you're like, okay, I'm from Glasgow, Scotland. Here I am up in the hills of Hollywood, up in a tree in a ninja costume, um, about to leap out and assassinate someone. How did I end up here? Uh, is not uh, America?
0: America is like a tab of acid. I'm telling you, like you, you never think what the hell is going to happen to you until you're in it. And you're like, uh, dude, it's like a hundred degrees, and I'm wearing an Eskimo uniform in a movie. This is crazy.
1: Yep, it's, it's 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 ridiculous. It was so much fun though, 'cause I mean, you know, I'm sure my mom would be proud, but here I am at four in the morning <laughs> in a ninja costume uh, up a tree. Um, but th- but that was a great shoot. I mean, those those were really good productions to work on, and, and on that same vein. Um, We've done a Roman conquest um, episode and um, it was myself and a really good friend of mine, Dan Forsey, who's a phenomenal um, stunt guy, that he's also producing now. Um, he and I and some other um, really cool guys from England, actually, uh, we were in the desert, up in the high desert somewhere, and um, we were in full Roman costumes marching. And it was 110 degrees and we were in full armor. Wow. And the heat was horrible. You could fry an egg on an armor at the time, uh, and again, it, it was you know you you have strange thoughts on set, and I'm thinking to myself, how did the Roman Empire conquer the way they did, wearing sandals? Because none of us could march more than ten feet without having to stop and kick stones out of our sandals, and it was it was hilarious. But at the same time, it was it was a long long two days to, to do that shoot. But you know, it's the camaraderie on set, and it brings you to the point of. You know, when you're working on set, you know, you know directors can actually do some really, you know, interesting things. Let's just put it that way. And it's the team that you're surrounded with that help you get through it. You know, it helps you buckle down, get it done, get the shot that's required to do it. It is a job and it is work. But at the same time, you're going to have a fantastic time and you're going to look back and have memories that you can talk about years later that, you know, you don't get when, you know, you, you, you know you're have a, a, a regular day job, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but when you're an accountant or you work somewhere else, you don't create these moments. Um, and the fun thing is, is you never know what those moments are going to be and you never know what they're going to be. So, you know, everyday on set, uh, an interesting, interesting experience.
0: That's fantastic. You know, it, it's very interesting hearing uh, your attitude because a, a lot of, uh, I would say, National Americans born in America have a very kind of of a different attitude about filmmaking and and really communicating with other people. A lot of times it has tends to be with I don't want to kiss anybody's butt or I'm not going to do anything to make myself seem like this. When in actuality, it's just about being nice a lot of times. I I don't know if you agree with me or not, but just being nice. Like when when we met, just be nice, being sociable, you know, not being just being yourself. I thought it always worked perfectly well in movie sets.
1: Yeah, no, I, I had the same, I had exactly the same experience because at the end of the day, you know, you're going to spend 16 hours a day for who knows how long working with these people. And, um, you know, if you, if you find the right type of um, person, the right types of attitudes, then you'll work with these people again and again, which I've been fortunate enough to, that's happened to me. I mean, I've been very lucky with the people I've worked with. Um, and, it's really just about being yourself. I mean, I think for me personally, um, as long as you're confident and you have the skill set, so you should be there, you know, so you have the skill set for the job, you have the knowledge and experience, even though you're constantly learning and you're constantly doing new things and you're constantly looking at, you know, different directors, filming techniques, camera angles, you know, different ways to make a shot work, so you're always learning, but you have the of skills there, so you're confident that you know that you should be there, then, you know, it's okay to let other people shine. It's okay to help other people look good because if you help other people look good, then you look good in turn versus, you know, the empty can rattles the most type of person who is maybe on the set but they're not so secure in who they are and um, they're trying to prove themselves to people, you know, um, and, and they tend to stick out for the wrong reasons, fortunately. Um, and I've seen examples of that once or twice. So I think it's just about, you know, it's film. It's wonderful. It's a great thing to do. Um, but we're not curing cancer and we're not saving children. So um, you've really got to take it for what it is and keep your feet firmly on the ground and realize that it's a wonderful job if that's what you like. For the creative people, for the artists in the world, everyone expresses their art in different ways, whether it be martial artists or painters or musicians or people who work in film. And you know, if you find that you're one of those people who work in film, then take it for what it is and breathe and relax and, and let your creativity flow and find yourself in the right spot um, and just, you know, do your thing. And when it's all right. said and done, you'll look back at it and, and you'll be proud of
2: what you've done.
0: Do you Have you seen, not to name any names, but have you seen many people not quite understand how these things work and kind of go, damn, this person just doesn't understand. You know, I, I've seen a lot of people you know, just be angry on a movie set, or be upset, or not quite understand the vibe, and and kind of take things kind of wild. Have you, have you seen Have you seen that before? And kind of go, I don't think this person understands. <laughs> you should just be enjoying yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen I've seen again. I've been lucky that for the most part, ninety nine percent of people I've worked with have all been amazing. Uh, and again, I'll never name names, but I've seen examples of of people not even in the stunt department, but in other departments. Um, who, you know, are just having a bad day, you know, and then maybe, and again, going back to perception is skewed, I've maybe seen something and I'm only getting a snapshot of it. So I've maybe seen mm-hmm. someone having a bad day, having a bad reaction to something. I don't know the whole story, the background, the history of this person is, so I don't want to make a snap judgment on someone for one instant. Um, you know, because we all have them. Everybody's human. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, as you know, m- movie sets are very stressful. There's, you know, time constraints, budget constraints, you know, so there are times when, you know, the pressure's on and you have to get it done. Um, and people react differently. Some people handle it really, really well and they're sure. buckle down and do what needs to be done and at a team, that's what you want to do in the stunt department. Um, and some people crack. Um, so, right. you know, it's, it's, it's life and so you just have to in my opinion, you know, you just have to go with the flow and, and, and move forward and find out what the situation is if you're involved, fix it, and, and keep going. Well,
0: well, tell me what, what's your secret because I see you post that you're you know you're like you're having fun, you're enjoying your life, you're going out with your girl, you're having a great time, and then you're on a radio show at ten in the morning. You, right. Well, what keeps you? What keeps you motivated? What, what keeps you? You know, what keeps you sane and moving forward when other people have a tendency to kind of go, well, it's a Sunday, it's my day off, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kick back today.
1: You know, what What keeps me moving forward is that I have, you know, a desire to continually move forward and continually improve myself and obviously to, you know, work more and, and um, you know, 2015 is shaping up to be really good. I mean, I'm, I'm excited that this year. for has been a very strong year. Um, and also my family. You know, my my girlfriend is a rock. She's absolutely amazing. Um, I don't know what to do with her. I have two kids. Um, you know, of, of my own, and she has two kids of her own, so I have a really awesome family group that, um, you know, motivates me to just keep moving forward. And you know, there's days when, you know, you wonder in this crazy business where your next job's coming from, but you have got to have faith and you got to believe in who you are and what you do and, and what you can bring and offer to people. And you know, if you meet the right folks, then opportunities will, will come. And and that's really for me. I just believe. I believe that I'm doing the right thing. And that I'm pursuing the
0: right goals. And, uh, right. you know, I just have faith. Well, when I look at your... You know, that's funny that you said faith. Because a lot of people think faith in God go hand in hand. And, and I don't believe that necessarily. I, I do believe that right. one of the problems of people in art or, or in any world format is that people don't have enough faith that it'll work out, that you'll be okay, that you'll succeed because you're great. Now here's here's something Lee. I'm looking at your resume. Your resume is just going all overboard with self, you know, miscellaneous crew, production manager, second unit director, to actor. I mean, you're just going, you're just crazy. But when I look at, uh, you know, is is this your format? Is this right for Lee? When I look at the Lady Musketeer and I see Gerard Depardieu on, on the on the cast, I can't think to my, I can't help but think to myself that this was meant for you. So how would you feel about being on that set? And did you, do you have any time with Gerard or?
1: Um, I actually didn't have any time with him on that set because we were doing um, pick up shots. He was somewhere else in the world at the time, um, so right. it was a small unit. It was a small unit. We're just doing some um, some sword fights, some sort of you know musketeer style sword fights on that set, right. and that was a couple of days shoots, on, couple of days on that, and it was fun. It was good. It was um, it was a lot of fun. The fights were fun. Um, again, it was hot and sweaty and in, in the sun, which is you know. Not my favorite place to be because I'm from Scotland, but you
0: know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, 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 you do what you got to do, right? You know, right, right. So, so but, but and that, and that your job just started. That was, added, was that a lot of fun? And your and your job just started adding up. I mean, you're going to you uh, Dye's uh, Array right afterwards, and Wild West Tech, and then De- Dead and Deader, and then Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. I mean, you, you're literally going from. 04 to 05 to 05 to 06 to 07. I mean, you're literally working nonstop. Um, how, how, did yeah, that, I, how did that feel for you going on these maybe maybe considered smaller projects and then jumping into like you know a billion dollar project?
1: Well, the, the funny thing was is like my very first project was Master Commander, so that was my. It was oh, the right. because, oh, my that, because that that was my that was my first first sort of gig was Master Commander.
2: That's so huge. It was $300, yeah.
1: 300 background fighters, not to mention all the main cast and crew and everything else. So that was my first first exposure to the film business. So then from there to go back to then working on small crews and stuff like that, it was actually (laughs) really good because it it gave me time to breathe and learn even more. Because I spent six weeks, six, eight weeks in Mexico on Master and Commander, day in, day out, just working, working, working. And it was fantastic. But it was a whirlwind. So when I got to work on the smaller shows, it gave me a chance to talk to VPs and talk to directors and, you know, be more involved and talk, talk to the production crew and, and, and learn and learn and just constantly learn as much as I could about the film process um, and how things were done. Um, and, and through working on the smaller shows, obviously how the industry works, you meet people and, and they like you or they don't like you, whatever, but you meet people and and you get to meet other people that leads to more work and it begets more connections. And, and that's how you build up a network of people that, you get to know as as genuine friends, um, and and things move on from there,
0: and that's that's kind of how things things evolve. Well, Lee, that's very interesting because uh, you know as as Americans would normally respond is if they did mass command the first and then some smaller project afterwards, they would go into a uh, tailspin of depression, thinking that they got dropped from the major leagues to the AA leagues. But your attitude is very different. Your attitude is. You know, I, I went to do other projects, and I got to be more intimate because it was more—it was more primary and, and what have you. Uh, do, do you see that your attitude or your personality is different than other people in this in the same field, or, or or do you not look at that at all?
1: I've never thought about it. Not until you brought it. Really? I've never thought about it at so all. Never thought yeah, about most it. People, it's just...
0: most people don't think that way. Most people would be like, "Yeah, you know, I did Mass Commander, and then I had to do these other smaller films and." Some people would just quit because of that, not thinking that they'd have all these other gigantic things coming in their way. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Since you said that never entered your mind, what kept you going as a – I mean, I, I just heard you say, and it's a great thing to hear. And boys and girls out there, if you're listening carefully, what he said was having a more intimate place in order to talk to the director, producer, writers, actors was a great thing after working on such a gigantic production. Am I right on that, Lee?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because sometimes it's it's too easy to get pigeonholed. And 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 in my perspective, you know, the film industry, filmmaking as a whole, the the more skills you have, or the more you understand the process, um, the, then the better you can produce or or be an integral part of that process. I mean, if you don't understand, you know, how the the directors want their shot set up, or how the DP likes to work, or how they want it lit, and you don't take time to really get involved in those departments and get to know those people, or at least the head of departments. if you're the head of a department, um, then you isolate yourself and you isolate what you do. Um, And you don't don't want to do that. You really, in my opinion, and I'm not saying my way is right, it's just the way I like to do things, you know, I like to know what the director's thinking. I like to know what the DPs are looking for. I like to figure out how they like to set up the shots. Um, you know, and the more I know about other people's jobs, the better I can be in my job, and the easier I can...
0: <laughs> Just that rational.
2: Pretty much. <laughs> and,
0: and the... <laughs> That's hilarious, man. You know, most people have such a, a crappy attitude. But uh, that's a great attitude to have. So, so you went on. You did you did the Lady Musketeer, and you did some pickup shots. and You went to Dye's Array, and then you went to Wild West Tech, which is, which is an awesome little documentary there. And Dead and Deader, and then Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. So, so that that went from oh four to oh seven. So that's three years later. Tell me how did that how did that job come around? And uh, well, yeah,
1: it it was it was Dan Barringer who had um, brought me on for Master and Commander. Who he was working for Doug Coleman on Master and Commander. And then he was also the assistant coordinator on Pirates. Um, and this is a testament to how amazing Dan is, because I've been working towards getting my SAG card and, and this, it took me quite some time. So I actually got my SAG card on Dead and Better, because um, all this sort other of stuff I was working on Union, so it really was, I was learning to cut my teeth. So, um, right. you know, I managed to get my SAG card and I was sitting in the SAG parking lot, you know, and I just paid, I saved up my money, I paid my fee to join the Union, I was so happy. And, you know, Dan, I've kept in touch with Dan over the years, and he said to me, you know what, Lee, when you get your SAG card, let me know. So this was, like, you know, years later, because it took a long time to get my SAG vouchers, because it's not the easiest thing on the planet to to do. Um, yeah. But I was, I was very lucky to get a friend of mine called Chris Torres, another great stunt guy. He basically hooked me up and got me on Den Denner, and that's where I got my SAG vouchers. So anyway, um, I'm in the SAG parking lot, and I call Dan, because I don't know where he is in the world, And he picks up my phone, my phone call, and I'm like, "Hey Dan, it's Lee." He's like, "Hey Lee, how are you? I'm great. I just want to let you know I've got my sidecar." He says, "That's great. Hold on, we're just about to do a shot with Johnny, Ie Johnny Depp. Uh, We're in. I'm in the Bahamas right now. Let me call you back in ten minutes." So I'm like, "Okay." So I'm sitting in the side parking lot, and I'm thinking, "Oh my God, I've just disturbed Dan while he's about to do a shot with Johnny Depp. That's a big no-no. I shouldn't have done that, but I I had no idea knowing." Uh, and true is his word, 10 minutes later, he called me back, and he was so happy for me. He's so happy for you. Like, you got your sack, Curly. That's fantastic. I'm so happy. That's wonderful. Uh, I'm in the Bahamas right now. Um, I'll be back in a couple of weeks to LA. Let's have lunch. And again, true to his word, we had lunch a couple of weeks later, and he says, well, look, I can't promise you anything, but I'll talk to George, and uh, I'll see what I can do for you, see if I can get you on Pirates. And uh, wow. he did. And, he did. He he got me in, and um, you know, I was I was on the Pirates Three for two months, and
2: wow.
1: uh, it was it was fantastic. It was awesome.
0: Well, I, I know that uh, Sean Piccinino's cousin uh, Jeremy Dunn from Ice Stunt uh, worked on on the Pirates as well. Do you have any connection yes. with with him in those films at all?
1: Y- yes, yeah, I worked. I met him on Four. Uh, we worked on Pirates Four together, and uh, awesome guy, great guy. You know, we yeah. had such a good yeah. time working on it. So he, I actually felt sorry for him on that show because he was a a pirate zombie, and they had yes. to have so much so much makeup on. He spent four hours a day in the makeup chair as the other guys did, and it just
0: looked pretty miserable.
2: <laughs> we had <a> hard time. <laughs> you
0: know. I'm sure it sounds horrible to you. It's like yeah, it was horrible yeah, for yeah. him. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, I felt, I felt sorry for him because they had an early call time and they were in the makeup chair for so long just to get the makeup right. But they looked fantastic. Yeah. It was awesome.
0: Yeah, he looked great. But he's awesome. he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a fantastic guy. You know, it's funny is you know, Jeremy and I have known each other very, very long, and, and he came, he trained with me for many, many years. And what's interesting is when he first started his career, a, a lot of people would kind of poke fun at the way that he promoted himself through Facebook and through Instagram and through Twitter and what have you. And I actually understood what he was doing. And now that he has mm-hmm. eye stunt and all these things behind him, I mean, it's obvious that it worked. And those people that were kind of naysayers or baggers or haters are all like, wow, he's very successful. But do you find that to yourself as being an actor and a stuntman yourself that you need to self-promote, you really need to push yourself out there, and that might work against your personal grain?
1: Well, yeah, for me personally, I find it very difficult to self-promote. Um, and I think it's a lot to do with my martial arts background about being humble and, you know, right. not being that type of you know, person. But the the hard part in this business, if you don't self-promote yourself, you'll never work. So it's finding that balance and it's, it's, it's trying to find ethical avenues to promote yourself where you're not just, um, you know, getting in people's faces and trying to, you know, hey look at me, look at me. I I really detest that type of thing. Um and that's right. just me personally, but, but I understand the nature of the business is you have to promote yourself. So I mean so far right. what's worked for me is just, just meeting people and and being in situations where people can get to know me and um mm-hmm. if I have something that's gonna be useful for the project then great, I'll jump on board and I'll I'll give it my and about attention and a hundred percent effort. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's something I do need to do personally to promote myself more. Um, but I am uncomfortable with it. It's something I need to, need to work on for sure. (laughs) It's
0: definitely, it's definitely that martial art background. I, I've been starting to promote things now more, more and more now than ever. And, uh, and I get weird looks sometimes (laughs) or weird, weird weird conversations with human beings who they're like, are you promoting your thing right now? Like I totally am. I, I, how else is
1: anybody going to watch it? It's true, it's true. And, right. and that's the thing, it's just trying to, to find a, a balance that you're comfortable with personally. Um, some people have no problem being out there and, you know, they're all over the world. Everything they can get their, their name on or whatever, that's what they do, and right. that's great. It's just, it's right. not it's not
0: my way. No, you know, no, but, uh, no. I, I didn't think that was your way when I met you as well. But So you did Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Working uh, with Gore Verbinski is just, that must be just miraculous. Did you work close with Gore Verbinski or did you work mostly with a stunt team?
1: I was mostly with a stunt team. There was a 100 stunt guys on that particular scene wow. we were shooting. And it, and it was the scene where the two ships are circling around the, the sort of maelstrom. And it was that whole yeah, battle yeah. sequence. So that, that's what we shot. Uh, and it was, um, the rain in that scene is real water. It's real rain. They had an indoor rain system. So we were soaking wet from the first scene, first shot the first day okay. all the way through. So it was, you know, 15-hour 15, uh, 15 hour days, 16-hour days, soaked to the skin, um, sword fighting all day. And the, the wow. ships were on gimbal, so they would have the ships tilted at 45-degree angle. So we're
2: actually no. harnessed
1: in. So so we're harnessed in so we don't fall over because you can't stand up. And then we're doing all our sword choreography whilst harnessed in at 45-degree angle. Um, so that was that was some of the shots that we, we spent time on. And it was, you know, and all the guys that were swinging ship to ship. In this movie, you see it, and I'm sure a lot of people think, oh, those guys swinging ship to ship, that must be CGI. No, it's not. Those were actual stunt guys swinging yes. over a massive gap. I mean, I, I I think it was at least a 300-foot gap. It was a huge gap between um, the two ships. And they had the, the, the ropes on, they had Circus harnesses. they had the ropes on, on rails, and these guys were just going for it, and uh, it was phenomenal to watch. You know, the guys that were doing that particular stuff um, do the thing, and then they had, you know, the swingers and the catchers. We, had, you know, I was one of the guys that was hanging over the ship, catching the guys as they came in to make sure they made it safe because it was a quite a quite a long drop to to the um, bottom. Um, you know, right. uh, if they if they fell off, so you know, it's a lot of things that people see these days because sea is so good there's a lot of things, right, we'll see that, oh, it must be CGI, but in fact, no, that was a real person that actually did that particular guy, so the CGI is so well-blended these days that I think it does a lot of stunt people disservice service, because people right. assume, ah oh, that's that's definitely CGI, there's no way a real guy would have done that, when in fact, yeah, that was you know, a real guy who's risking his life to get that shot done so that you can enjoy it. Right. Um, right. So it's, it's interesting how the industry's moving on and the blend of technology and real actions blurred so well that it's hard to tell these things.
0: Yes, yes. You know, it, it, it's it's amazing, you know, just like Sean was talking about the other day, Sean Piccinino was talking about the other day on, a, on his on a radio show he just did earlier, which somebody was making the comment about Tom Cruise not doing his own stunts when Tom Cruise does his own stunts. It's it's insane the the thing that people do. Of course I, I think as as an actor or as a person that you shouldn't ask other people to do things you're not willing to do yourself.
1: Right, right. I mean there, there's definitely I definitely agree with you there, but there's also the, the production perspective where you have a guy like Tom Cruise who is technically irreplaceable to the project. Um sure. and you can't you, you know, you have gotta protect him and your investment. because if you're yes. you know, two hundred million dollars into your production and Tom Cruise falls off the building <laughs> and dies you know, um, then you're then you're in serious trouble. So the producers obviously put the damper on a lot of things. There's a lot of actors who are very capable of doing all their own stunts, but the line the yes. producer will step in and go, you know what? You're not doing that. That's why we have the stunt double. And right. it's a business decision, right. more than an ego decision. You know, more than anything. Well, uh, well
0: that's so, what I like about it. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Well, that's what I like about Uma Thurman in like, Kill Bill, because she had her stunt double, and uh, it was an awesome stunt double. They weren't trying to you know, make any excuses. We need a stunt double for this. It's very important. But if you look right. at the original Conan movie, and you look at, it, at his female counterpart in the film, she almost lost her finger in that film, in the, almost at the last scene, because she missed one of the sword blocks, and some guy came straight down and almost chopped her finger off. And that yeah. just reminds me a lot of production and stunts, whereas... We hire stunt people for a very specific reason. Uh, actors are not stunt people, or else you'd be an actor stuntman like Jackie Chan, which you're not. Uh, right. So it's 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 kind of alarming. Do you find it to be the same thing on sets when when you like when you're there on Pirates, uh, both films and what have you? That some people want to do their own stunts, and it's just silly.
2: Well,
1: I think it's I think it can sometimes just go down to an ego thing, you know, a machismo mm-hmm. thing with some guys where, you know, they, they want to do their own stunts um, simply because they want to have that reputation of being an action star, an action guy. And like I said, a lot of guys are very, very capable and they can do it. And then other actors just want to do their, their coverage and then go sit in the trailer and let the stunt double do all the rest of the work. And there's no right or wrong. It just depends on what works for the flow of the production. Um, you know, if I think in a lot of ways, there are some actors and actresses out there that um, should just get the coverage done and do their job and do the acting part and then step back and let the stunt double do the work because, um, you know, it would help the production as a whole get their shots faster and get everything they can quicker and have an easier day versus an actor or actress who won't show up to it. And I've seen this, who won't show up to rehearsals, who won't, you know, who thinks they're too good to have to show up to rehearsals, but they want to do all their own action. And then... It gives the production a, a you know a whole a host of problems because this particular actor or actress hasn't rehearsed. They don't know their action. And it seems silly right. to me that someone who's, who's someone who's an actor who spends years perfecting the craft will assume, oh, it's done I can do that. I can do a fight scene. It's like the same amount of time and preparation you've put in to do your dialogue and your monologues, you have to put in more to do your action. Why is that? Because it's a physical timing skill set that, you know, you acquire over years of training properly and understanding, you know, spatial awareness and choreography and timing and distance and footwork. And just to make something that's so simple to make it look the way it's supposed to look on camera time and time again, it's a skill set. Just the same as acting, just the same way as pulling focus on a camera or, you know, you name any sort of skill set that's on on a movie set, they all take time to acquire. So, you know, I would much rather have an actor who understands his limitations and goes, hey, you know what, I'll do my bit, get a stunt double in, let's move on. Much better than an actor who insists on doing their own stuff when they're technically not the best option. Um, And and that can be compensated. Um, And I've seen some examples of that over the years. But again, that's up to the director, to, to handle how he wants to handle that and you know the stunt coordinator at the time that was coordinating to make the right choice for not just the action and the in, in the budget but also for the safety of everybody involved because it's not the first time that you know an actor's hurt a stunt person um unnecessarily just because of ego and, and wishing to do something that they really had no business doing in the first place um but therein lies the the conundrum that's the that's the business we're in, and that's the kind of personalities that we we have to suck and navigate and
0: deal with on a regular basis. That's that's strange that that somebody would put somebody else's life in danger just for their own ego to show that they can do a stunt. That's as you as a as a actor, stuntman, stunt choreographer, and what have you. What would be your favorite option if if I walked on set right now and I actually knew how to do stunt work, but at the same time. We want to get things streamlined, clean. We want to get things done. We don't want any egos. We don't want any trouble. What is your advice to me? What, you, what would you I like mean, me to do? If you were the director, what would you like me to do?
1: Well, first of all, I'd like to i would like to have, you know, my biggest pet peeve is lack of rehearsal time. You know, okay. that's my biggest pet peeve because, you know, you have someone who, you know, and it, this happened to me as well on, on set where, you know, we have a huge fight scene to do. Uh, a massive fight scene. It's all knife fights and stuff. We had this whole big sequence already, uh, already planned out, um, but we didn't get enough real rehearsal time with the people that we needed because of availability. And then when it came to shoot, the the, the crew spent five hours shooting plant pots and lights and windows and things, uh, and then they had lunch, and then they came back, and we had 45 minutes to shoot this whole fight scene. It was impossible to, to give them the vision that we had. We gave them the best yeah. we could. That's what we had. So me personally, if I was putting together a sequence, it would be rehearsal time and I would get everyone together um, that's involved and rehearse and block out all the action and then see who is best in each position. And who's, you know, if, you, if you're an actor, I would look at your ability and see what you could do and I would put you in as much as you're comfortable with because obviously the more you can do, the better it is for the project if you're physically able to do, do the work. Um, if you're not physically able to do what's required, then we work out how we're going to shoot it and get your coverage and get your acting moments out there so that you have your moments on screen and then have your stunt double do the rest. Um, and, so and that way... So,
0: so so keep on... So a lot of lot of work, a lot of, lot of getting yourself ready for the shoot.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Because, I mean, the way I look at it is the most expensive days on set are the days where you're shooting. So if you can spend some money, and that's what a lot of producers don't understand, if you can spend the money on the rehearsals so that you can allow your action team, your stunt team and your actors to really dial in what you need time to shoot, the shoot goes so much easier and so much smoother when you're spending the big money. You know, you've got your, your, your trucks there, you've got your lighting rigs there, you've got all your people there, you've got your PAs, you know, um, and you don't want to run over and get into overtime and all that sort of stuff. So you want to keep your budget, you know, in line and the best way to do that is with preparation. So actors rehearse the lines, actors prepare. And that's standard, normal, expected. But it's the same for stunts and for fight scenes and action scenes. And unfortunately, some producers and directors don't understand that we need proper rehearsal time to give you the best possible um, end result. And, and, and that's that's a big pet peeve of mine is, is lack of rehearsal time. We must have, you know rehearsal time to put it all together and test things and pre-visualize stuff. And, and also you can, right. you know, then look at people, you might be surprised. You might get an actor who's like, oh my God, this guy is so good. Okay, let's change things around and showcase him even more. And you right. would never know that if you don't get the right time to to train with the guy and, and get to know him and get to know his strengths and weaknesses, him or her. Um, so preparation is key and everything. To prep properly is yeah. Well, he did the same thing in Star Wars
0: when they, when they did uh, Phantom Menace uh, they did the same thing where uh, Ray Park was teaching swordplay and because they were practicing mm-hmm. so much George Lucas saw him and went I don't want this other guy I want you. If you're going to teach this other guy how to do that great work I might as well just have you and then the next exactly. you know he's, he's in Star Wars. Exactly. So that preparation con- con- concept and comment I love because as, as, a, as a director and, and a writer going to actors I want you to I want you to rehearse. You know, I, I don't want to go Absolutely. in there and, uh, you know, no, I don't want to go in there and, and direct you. And the, you're, you're hired for a job. You're an actor. You should know what your job is: is to act. My job is right. to direct. So you should rehearse. <laughs> it's very strange.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the same it's crazy that some actors don't want to rehearse because they're too busy with the acting stuff and they don't put the same emphasis on the action. So there's a right. there's a flaw in the thinking there. It's like they they see that the action spans. Is a lesser um, element to what they do. But if you look at, you know, all the major movies and TV shows these days, you know, Game of Thrones, Vikings, all that sort of stuff. Right. I mean, the action is right. key to all of these shows as well as the um, the, the solid acting. So, you know, Absolutely. it's just...
0: Uh, it, is, it, is, it is incredible. I think things are changing pretty fast because we're starting to see more and more now and ever the stunt community, the mo-cap, motion capture or mocap community, um, stunt stun people for video games, all come into the forefront now because you can have an actor doing their part, but if you didn't have that action person doing that action, you wouldn't have a game, you wouldn't have a movie, you wouldn't have any of those things. And uh, I, think that, I think that's quite interesting. Things are changing pretty fast. So the film you did right after Pirates of the Caribbean was Richard III, and you went right after that you went to Torin Dion. Is, is that how you pronounce that? uh twenty on yeah that was it that geez. that was
1: a, that was a, a, yeah i played i played a i played a an innkeeper on that show <laughs> i was I, I was an innkeeper. <laughs> yeah that, that was does. that was that was pretty awesome yeah that was pretty awesome yeah I way you,
0: you're, you're,
1: right sorry Innkeep Jensen was the character's name i'll never forget it was funny.
0: <laughs> how was it
1: it was great. It was good. Um, you know, it was shot in a very small location. The production design was awesome. Um, you know, the place looked great, and it, it was it was kind of like a kind like of Lord of the Rings style type of you know uh, low budget film. And um, it was just this one scene that was involved in in this pub and this and this sort of thing. And it was it was good. It was awesome. It was a great experience. Uh, excuse me. It was really good.
0: You know, Lee, Lee I, I didn't know how long our show was going to be today. I, I thought it was literally going to be an hour. We're going to have a very simple conversation. We're going to be done. We're we're, we're hitting over the hour marks. So we're actually almost done with the show. We've been talking that long right now, which is incredible. Wow. I, I originally thought to myself, like, you know, we'll have a nice conversation about an hour an hour hour long, maybe an hour or five minutes, and then we'll, we'll cut it short. Kind of, you know, just being short and sweet. But I'm not even halfway through my interview right now. So wow. we went from... Yeah, but we'll get us ourselves. So you went from The the Way of the Hero, Clear Blue, to Ripple Effect. So these are all 2009, 2010, 2011, to Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. So you went from these yes. independent films, short films, to again the Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. So how did that happen, and did it happen from the same connection as you had before?
1: Again, it was the same connection I had before. I'd worked with um, these guys on Pirates 3. And, again, I kept in touch with Dan and submitted my, my stuff to George again. And I, I was fortunate enough to get pulled in on the mermaid sequence um, on Pirates 4. So um, we done that up at Universal Studios. And oh, wow. um, that's the, the scene where the mermaids all attacked the pirates and um, Blackbeard was there and, you know, doing their thing. And it was, again, great. We spent... Um, it was night shoots and we were in the water all night, freezing cold. But it was awesome. It was mm. just, uh, you know... Those man made attack a you, lot of rats work.
0: Um You you have a you have a couple good. people in this film that are that are my favorite, like Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall, the director is one of my favorites. Uh Ian McShane. Mm-hmm. I I, I yes. love Ian McShane so much. Ian McShane yes. being in, in um Kings, being in Lion King, have you seen that? Being in John Wick, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact? Have you seen John Wick? Yes, he, is, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah. Ian McShane. Well, of course Ian yeah. McShane. I mean, I love this guy so much. Did you get to work with Johnny Depp, Penelope Cruz, any of these guys, or or was it purely like the other shoot, isolated into a stunt room or what have
1: you? Pure, purely isolated into a stunt room with with the other guys. But again, you know, as you know, we're in very close. We're, we're within, yes. you know, five, six feet of these guys all the time. You know, we're working very closely with You're them. You're like three
0: feet away from we, them, yeah.
1: Sure, but we're doing our thing and they're doing theirs and etiquette is always, you know, observed and everyone's there to do their job or being professional about it but um, again you get to observe these people and, and how they work and their work ethic and you know again another I've been very very fortunate that I've I've had some big experiences on set and got to watch and mm-hmm. you know be a sponge and absorb stuff from other people and uh, right. it's it's great you know it's, it really is because, so again another fantastic project to work on and that's where I met Jeremy um, and some other nice. guys that hadn't on three and, and it was just great, you know. It's, it's a fantastic, you know, business to be in. And when you get those opportunities, it makes all the struggle worthwhile. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people, you know, in the industry who, you know, they wonder, they struggle, "Am oh, I ever going to get a shot? Am I ever going to get a chance? Am I going to get an opportunity?" Right. And, and the way I look at it, if right. you're not in it, you can't. If you're not in it, you can't win it. If you're not in it for the long term, and if you're not committed to what you're going to do, you're never going to get yeah. the opportunity. And, and you may just quit, and then. You never know what you would have um, missed out on or the opportunity you wouldn't have gotten if you hadn't actually just persevered and, you know, dug in deep. And and like I said earlier, have belief, have belief in yourself, have belief in the universe, have belief that if you're pursuing um, your dream, then it's going to turn out the, the way it's supposed
0: to. Right. I agree. So you did Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger's Tide. And let me ask you a question. So you go from the two Pirates film and and Commander, and you do all these short films or smaller productions. What is the one thing you learned from the smaller productions, and what is one thing you learned from the big productions in comparison to each other?
1: Um, well, the, the smaller productions, um, it's all about being able to um, – put on multiple hats as and when required, and that's where it comes back to knowing as much as possible um, about the film process and how films are made. Um, Because sometimes, you you know, you might be on a small production and, um, you know, you're there and you're in the middle of nowhere at 4 a.m. up a tree in a ninja costume, you know, and all of a sudden they need to load and do dolly tracks or need to do cool stuff. So what are you going to do? Are you going to stand there and let other guys struggle? Or are you going to pitch in and, and get it done? Um, and in the smaller sets, you can do that because you will work in relationship with people. And Hey, you need, you need help with that, and pick up to them to say yes or no. But at least you can offer and help. And on, on the larger productions, um, you know it's really a case of um, you know being attentive enough and having your finger on the pulse of what's going on moment to moment, so that when your boss, your coordinator needs you, you're ready to go. So you've got to try and anticipate the next shot. You've got to try and look at what's going on. And even though you might just be. You know, standing, hanging out, you know, we're drinking a coffee. It's hurry up and wait. You're ready to go. You have everything prepared. You're absolutely 100% ready. So they're never waiting on you. You know, you don't want to be the guy. You don't want to be the guy that they're calling for, and you're not there because you have you have a hundred thousand dollar shot set up waiting on you. Unless you're the star of the show, you never want to be that guy. You know, um, so preparation again it goes back to my thing of preparation. You get to set early. You know, you bring everything you need. You get yourself to hair, makeup, wardrobe ASAP. You get ready. You find you find your coordinator You ask what's going on, and you always let them know where you're going to be, and you're just there. You're ready to go, and that's that's professionalism of it. And then you know, that will get you viewed upon as a guy who's who's ready to go. who's ready to work. Nice. So good
0: well, we, okay. before we continue on and get into Vikings and six feet down under and, and your other projects, I want to talk a little bit about Armin L that 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 you that you made, which which is interesting because I did not know you know David Novak because David Novak and I have been very friendly for a very long time. So you he's and, and David Novak worked together. That's six years of separation. Dave.
1: Wow. Right, right. Yeah, David's a great actor. He he nailed his part so well on that show. There's that's a show that was. Um, Produced by a good friend of mine, uh, Phyllis Laskin. Uh He has his production company, mm. Windtalker Productions, and it was his baby. It was his dream. He wrote the script. Um, you know, wow. raised the money, based budget, got it done, and it, it was a really, sort of, really good project to work on. Small crew, small budget, but a lot of talent, a lot of talent on that show. And um, you know, I was I was working on that um, from start to finish. I was first AD on that show um, as well as stunt coordinator so I was kind of like I said wearing two hats at the same time um, which was kind of you know stressful because it was such a a a busy schedule and such a short shoot um, you know days wise Um, but it was it was great you know it was really really good and it was directed by um, Lance um, Demias who's a really good friend of mine yeah really really good guy good director and uh, it was a good show no, it was it was, it was was a good shoot. Um, had its challenges, as
0: all shoots do, but uh, we got it done yes. and uh, got out of there. Yeah, yeah, that caught me oh. out of guard, guard seeing that because, you know, David and I have been speaking for a very long time and, and uh, we've been trying to get him on the show. He's Sundays he's not very available, but uh, I had no idea that you guys worked together, and that was kind of strange that we had 60 degrees of separation just right there. But you went to we well, Armand L in 2012, Right. I mean, you know, Key and Peel, you know, Peel, Key came out and made a comment about not burning bridges because you just don't know who you're going to meet in 10 years, 20 years from now. So always keep an eye on who you meet and who you know and be respectful. And later on, when you see your life, you're connected with people you never thought you'd be connected with and, and reconnected with people that you used to work with. And if you were to burn those bridges, you have nothing left.
1: Absolutely. And and it goes back to, you know, just treating people the way you want to be treated. I mean, you treat people with respect, you treat people nice. And obviously, you're going to meet people who maybe don't deserve your respect or to be treated the way you'd like to. But you, you know, you you deal with them professionally and um, always, always take the higher ground. And, and you know, like I said, the person who gets angry first loses. And, you know, just keep moving on. It is a business. It is work. And um, you can't let other people's shortcomings affect your
0: your day um, right. it's not worth it so we went from uh, RMANO to Vikings the show and I love Vikings this is such a great show Please tell us a little bit about your introduction into the show how you got involved
1: well I, I, it's funny I saw the very first I, did, I didn't work on season one but I saw the very first episode the very first fight scene on season one and I fell in love instantly I went oh my god who done that fight scene? Who's the choreographer? Who's doing the show? Mm. I need to work on that show. How can I work on that show? I had no clue. I had no idea. So, again, friends, friends who you know friends. Um, Dan Forsey, who I work with on and Commander, he mm. knew Richard Ryan. Now, Richard Ryan is the assistant coordinator uh, on Vikings, and he puts together all the fights. He's the guy that designs all the fights. He's the guy who done Troy with Brad Pitt. So all the fights in Troy were um, created by, by Richard Ryan, who is an absolute genius. His choreography is wow. fantastic. So Dan knew Richard. And I talked to Dan. I was like, hey, you know, what's going on with Vikings? Do you know anybody? He's like, actually, I do. I know Richard. I'm like, could you get me in touch with him? Because I'd really like to submit to the show. And he said, well, he's actually coming into Los Angeles to do an interview um, for Vikings season one. Um, when he comes in, we'll arrange a meeting. And that's what happened. So we had dinner, and I met Richard and um, talked to him, gave him my, my stuff. And he says, okay, great. I mean, um, I'll let you know what's going on. And we kept in touch. And when season two came around to shoot, um, he said, yeah, if you want to come over, we have a spot for you. And I flew from LA to, to Glasgow originally. And then from Glasgow I flew to Dublin and Ireland and then we shoot like an hour south of Dublin and that was season two and that was my introduction to working with the guys on Vikings and then I just got back from Ireland recently um, shooting season three and um, I should be leaving in April or May I believe to start working on season four so uh that's been a fantastic um introduction for me because it got me you know so far two seasons worth of work on the show I'm approaching my third season of work on the show And again, the Irish stunt crews, the stunt team, they are fantastic. Um, Their attitude on set, they're technically super capable. You know, every bit as capable as any stunt team I've worked with in America. Um, And a lot of fun to work with. Their their attitude, their their work ethic, everything is is fantastic. down earth guys who are extremely talented. So um, I'm very, very fortunate to work with with these guys. And, And the coordinator on that show is a guy called Franklin Henson. And him and Richard have both mm. done. Um, they've both done uh, Sherlock Holmes with Robert Downey Jr. Um, as well, uh, as well as a bunch of other stuff. Oh. So I've been fortunate really? to work with some very talented people. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So
0: Robert, Robert Downey Jr. Down trained a wing. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, they they designed all the all the fights for for Robert Downey Jr. And I know you're right. He he trained Wing Chun, so there's a heavy import of Wing Chun on there.
0: Um, yeah. But it was great. You said that he worked on Sherlock Holmes?
1: Yes. Well, I didn't personally know, but, um, um, you know, Richard and Franklin, they were the coordinators on Sherlock Holmes um, nice. with uh, Robert Downey Jr. So they put the fights and they all really the stunts in action. So they went from Sherlock Holmes to some other stuff, and then they found themselves on Vikings. Um, so they're mm. the, a team, you know, they, they work together so well, very, very well.
0: That's awesome. You worked on the episode The Choice and Invasion in 2014, boys and girls. So when you look it up on, on, on uh, you know, any kind of site that you're watching Vikings on, check out those two episodes, see Lee McDermott on that. He's awesome. So, going, so we're looking at your resume. We, you know, just had a great time looking after all the stuff you did here and more things to come, obviously. Uh, the next series you're working on right now is Six Feet Down Under. And uh, yes. that's being directed by Sean Paul Piccinino, and, it, uh, and it's it's been uh, starring uh, Guy Grindy as uh, somebody we know quite well. How did you get involved with this project, and how did you know Sean Paul Piccinino beforehand?
1: Well, actually, it was um, I met Sean, um, a, f- a mutual friend of ours, um, hired us both to do stunts on a music video. So I found myself on this music video um, that. Actually, I have to add to my resume. Um, but we oh, we done know. this music video together. Yeah, we, we done this this um, music video together. And I was actually driving um, a car up in LA. You know, those cars with the hydraulics. You know, that jump up sure. and down. Um, so I was driving one of those in traffic in LA, dressed in a a, a, a wolf costume, sort of fox costume type <laughs> of thing. Um, so I'm driving, <laughs> and I can only see out of one eye of this costume because the the, the head is so big on it. And Sean's in the back seat um, with some other stunt people, and they're fighting. They're all—it's all those furry costumes. So we're all dressed up with furries, and sure. that's the premise for the for the for the music video for some reason. And it's 105 mm-hmm. degrees. Um, we're sweating. I mean, the sweat's pouring down us on the inside of these suits. And um, we spent the whole day driving up and down doing fight scenes, dressed as furries mm-hmm. and, and this thing. And that's how I met Sean initially. Uh, we worked together doing doing stunts and it was great. We had a really good time. And um, that
0: sounds like an insane yeah. first meeting.
1: It was it was interesting. It, it really um, was one of those situations where it was such a, a tough day in terms of temperature and how we we'll were working. It was it was a hard hard day's work that you got to know people's personalities pretty quickly. And Sean impressed me by being super patient, super helpful. You know, all the things that I look for in someone to work with, he checked all the boxes and I was very impressed when I first met him. And we generally had, um, you know, stuck off a rapport with each other and we kept in touch. And then before I left for season three of Vikings, uh, we, we had lunch, we talked and we just kept in touch. We've got some things we were talking about. And then when I got back, I was like, hey, I'm back. You know, how are you doing? What's going on? Said, yeah, I'm good. I got this thing. You know, I'm directing called Six Feet Down Under. I wonder if you could come in and help me with it. And I thought, sure, and I came in to help, and
0: you know that's kind of how that happened. Well, that's awesome. You know, we're very happy to have you on that on that show. When, when you first read the uh, the script, and you're going in for you know thinking, I need to compile this this fighting action scene. It's not a lot of time we have to make these things happen. Was that a strain on you as a stunt coordinator, or was it easier for you to do more tight knit fighting skills than was do maybe a longer one?
1: You know, I, I, I'm i fairly adaptable in that. I mean, it, it didn't strain me in terms of, you know, well, what am I going to do? I knew exactly what I was going to do because I read the premise, I read the script. Um, I talked to Sean a lot about the characters and that's the biggest thing for me. I'm like, you know, this guy, you know, Guy Grundy's character, um, Nick, I mean, who is this guy? Tell me who he is. And he gave me a breakdown of who he is and who are the guys that he's going to be fighting against. You know, because action for action's sake, a lot of people like that because there's there's a big difference between violence in film and action art. Action art is your your kung fu movies, you know, your martial arts movies per se, where you have extended fight sequences that are all beautifully shot and fantastic, and I love them all. They're done really well. They're amazing. But it's action art versus violence. And for me, you know, six feet down under just used violence for me. It's like okay, it's a violent. Encounter—it's not an action art piece. Um, so even though we extended the scenes a little bit, I wanted to try and make, keep it visceral and keep it, you know, believable. To where you know the guy gets slammed on the ground—he's going to stay down because he's just cracked his skull. You know, the guy—you know—gets head butted. This is going to happen. So there's there's no superhuman powers involved. You know, or super toughness. It's it's as real as can possibly be but still make it entertaining and stay within the realms of believability. So once we right. established that, it was it was fairly simple for me to just go in and and look at the actors and look at who was there, and I, I was able to bring in some people that I, I wanted to work with myself, and who I already knew, and, and put these things together because, um, you know, a I had a great team to work with. I mean, you know, the DPs and, and Sean's fantastic. Um, he allowed me enough scope to to um, do my thing which is really important also. Um, And and that was good. So it gave me the freedom to kind of put things together the way I like it. And and it all worked out. And and the stunt team that we we brought in was fantastic. We worked their butts off. Um, Guy, physically, is is amazing. Uh, He's a fast learner. And again, something that reminds me of, and Guy Grundy have something in common, is is work ethic. Um, A lot of people may not have heard of Guy. Gundy yet, but you guys will. He's he's really gonna do a lot of great stuff. Um, I've got a lot mm-hmm. of faith in him as a, as an actor and as a as a as a guy who can pull off, you know, his own his own action just simply because of his work ethic. Um, you know, when I show up on set, he's like, "Okay, boss, whatever you want. What do you want me to do? How do you want it to look?" Right. Uh, he he's a he likes to get in the trenches and get it done. So that's why I'm really excited. We've got some. Some sequences coming up that I had a meeting with Sean actually a couple of days ago, um, how we want to put them together. And I'm super excited to get my hands on them and, and sort of flesh this stuff out. It's going to be awesome.
0: That's awesome. Well, the series is starring Guy Grundy, Aaron Schonke, Vernon Wells, and Sean Piccinino, directed by Sean mm-hmm. Piccinino. It'll be a 10-part series. Right now, uh, we're having a bunch of feed going on right now with Netflix and, and Sony both looking at, at the project right now. So that, that's, that's pretty sweet. Uh, how do you feel about a lot of the uh, buzz going on about the uh, about the trailer and about the ser- trailer coming out soon? What?
1: Well, when, when the trailer hit, when I first saw the trailer, I was so impressed because, I, you know, as you as you know, and I'm sure a lot of people listening understand, you know, the edit is so important in anything. I mean, you can shoot the most amazing sequence, and if it's not edited and put together properly, it's just going to be flat. It just doesn't, doesn't read the way it's supposed to. So when I saw the trailer, I was so impressed with um, you know, how it came across and how the action actually finished because a lot of times you do your best work on the day and you hope and pray and you fit cross your fingers that it comes out um halfway decent. Um and, and this time I was really impressed with how, you know, it all came together and when I saw that I was super excited, I thought, yeah, this is gonna be a great project. You know, these guys as a team have a great vision and the the script is great, and the concept is great, and they've brought in some fantastic individuals and it just it had that ring to it. I had the feel of success um because I saw it, and even though I was involved in until together, I saw the trailer I want to see this episode I want to see this series because it hooked, it, it hooked me in the same way when I first saw Vikings when I saw the first sequence of Vikings, I was hooked right' like I really want to see more about this show, same with them um, sixty down under. The trailer drew drew me in, and I was very impressed with how Sean and you know put it together and edited it all for that. It was it was awesome. It was fantastic.
0: Nice. Uh, everybody out there, you can you can leave, see lead to McDermott's uh, IMDb page on our page right now. Uh, a couple of things are not on there right now. He's gonna update it pretty soon, pretty much. But uh, a couple of things are not on there right now, like six feet down on there, what have you, a couple of other projects. But look at his IMDb page and enjoy it, and then watch the six feet down on the trailer, uh, both on Instagram. Twitter, uh, Facebook. We're on all three of them by the way. Uh Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And see the uh see the trailer and you can see uh, there's a lot of fight scenes in it. You can see you can see uh uh Lisa uh awesome fight work in there, especially the last scene where Guy Grundy lifts him off the ground and pile drives him to the ground, which I love.
1: Yeah, I was I was actually really pleased that they shot that in slow motion, it looks so good.
0: Yeah, I know. It, it, you know what I want to see is I want to see somebody smaller pick up Grundy and smash him on the ground. <laughs>
1: um, you know what? I've got we're a actually, couple. We're working. We're working on that.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're working I'd, on make sure Sean doesn't steal my idea. Right? I already have a. I already have an idea for a for a, for a Hanahate to come on in because uh, she's a small Asian girl. I I would love to see her beat the crap out of Grundy. That'd be awesome. We can make that happen. We can make that work. With that? <laughs> <laughs> we can
2: make
0: that work. <laughs> I know. I I don't think he'd have much of a problem with it. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well,
1: probably
0: so, not. Right? It's like oh oh, I'm getting hit by a beautiful beautiful small Asian woman. That's that's so horrible. Uh, so you yeah, I think he'd <laughs> be okay with that. <laughs> I think he'd be okay. You co You you're born in Glasgow. You, you grow up in Scotland. Yeah. You 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 train martial arts your entire life. You come out to America to. do to change things, to make a difference, and you do quite fast. Master Commander, Pirates, all these independent things. If I'm in Glasgow right now, and I'm living a Glasgow life, but I want to be you, and I'm like, I don't know, 18 right now, 16 years old, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to have even the modicum amount of success that you've had in a short period of time?
1: Well, it's one of those things where, you know, it goes back to belief. You have to have a dream. And I, and I tell this to my kids and I tell this to people all the time because, you know, I've had in the past a lot of criticism. Oh, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? Mm-hmm. And I have a burning desire and I have a dream. that I've always had to do something. Um, and I found my, my channel in the martial arts and also in, now in the film industry. Um you know, but the film industry is a fickle industry and you could be working today and never work like a and you have to have a dream. And, to you know, anybody of any age who's who's had a dream, uh, who's listening, it doesn't have to be in the film industry. It could be whatever it is. If you have a, a thing in your heart that won't let you go, you know, you go to sleep at night and you're thinking about it, you wake up and you're thinking about it, then you, you get so many resources open to you online. There's people who are willing to help you and you have to just get yourself out there and reach out and find out the skills you need, find out what it is you have to do, and start working on those skills and working on those things, and, and you know, become that person. Because you won't, you know, you won't win an Olympic medal in swimming unless you're a swimmer. You have to become a swimmer first. So, you know, if you want to work in film, you have to decide what it is you want to do in film, and you have to become that first. And once you become it, and you have a solid base, then you can you're constantly learning and developing your base, but then you can start putting yourself in situations to try and meet people to where you become useful. And the thing is, if you make right. yourself a useful individual, you know you make yourself a useful person. You have skills to bring to the table, then you'll find doors will open for you, you know. And, and so, stay humble and work hard.
0: So when you worked with these people and you joined their lives, it was important to you to stay humble and nice to these people as well.
1: Always. Always, you know. I mean, it, it it doesn't cost anything to be nice. And, um, right. you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just the right way. to In my opinion, it's the right way to be. To be humble, you know, be nice to people, treat people how you'd like to be treated. And at the end of the day, right. you know, the movie industry is vicious. It's a vicious industry. You can be hot today and not hot tomorrow. And, you know, would you like to be remembered by people as or that great actor-slash-stunt guy who I can't stand to be around and I'm only with him because I'm getting paid to, or, hey, you know, that guy, he was a good guy. That was a good human being, you know? And I'm fortunate that most of the people I've ever worked with, that's how I feel about them, because I've been very lucky to work with some amazing people, and I've actually, um, more often than not, developed some really solid lifelong friendships um, with people who are just like-minded artists, the like-minded people who... You know, we're all in the same boat and we're all trying to do the same thing. Um And it, it's wonderful, you know, but it is a challenge and it is a struggle. And um, like um it goes back to what I say to, to everybody. You, you have to dream. You have to have a belief in yourself. You have to dream. And then you have to work hard to, to move towards that dream.
2: Right.
0: That's awesome. You know, it was great talking to you. I couldn't wait to talk to you. I didn't know what the interview would be like, but you know, I spoke, we spoke several times, and, and you've always been an incredibly pleasant and, and very positive human being. Tell me, tell me, Lee, we want to get in contact with you, the entire audience. I, I'm looking at my board right now. People are listening to the show. There's a, there's a large audience listening to the show right now, large. Oh, wow. How do we get in contact with you? We want, oh, yeah. The, you know What's awesome about the show is I didn't think people were listening. I'll be honest. <laughs> the first time I did the show last year, I had no idea if people were going to listen to the show. And As it went along, the numbers just started getting larger and larger and larger and larger. Right now, the, the numbers are so large, I actually have no idea who the hell is listening to the show. I, I, I can't even see who's listening to it, but it's a pretty large number. So if we have like 2,000 people listening right now, how can we get in contact with Lee McDermott? How could, how can could we, con- we contact you? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, which I don't think you're on, but how can we get in contact with you?
1: Facebook is the easiest way, I'm on Facebook, I'm easy to find, um, message me on Facebook if anyone has any questions or anyone, you know, again, you know, I'm open to help anyone um, that, that wants my help, I mean, as best of my ability, and if I don't have a solution to your problem, I am probably know someone who does because, you know, I'm not the be-all and end-all by any stretch of the imagination, I have my strong areas and those areas I'm constantly working on to improve. Um, you know that's just life. That's how how we roll. Um, but if anyone right. wants to get in touch with me, if any questions, contact me through Facebook, and um, I'll be happy to, to to you know help them as much as I can.
0: You're you're on Twitter as well, right?
1: Um, you know what? I am on Twitter, but I'm not much of a tweeter to be honest. Yes,
2: I I noticed.
0: <laughs> I, I posted the, the uh the trailer and I and I tagged you in it, so you you gotta check that out. Okay. I will just I will
1: do it.
0: Facebook? Facebook is the easiest?
1: Facebook is the easiest way to get
0: a hold of me. Lee, is, is it the it Facebook dot com Lee McDermott? Or does anybody else share your that, name?
1: Just just my name. Just okay. We're, we're gonna name. post everything right.
0: we're, we're gonna post everything today on, on uh on our Facebook page, but the 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 Fantastic, and Lee McDermott, thank you so much for being on the show. We look forward to watching everything you're doing from Vikings to Six Feet Down Under to all your future projects. You're such a great personality. Thank you so much for being on today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Steve. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Lee. Have yourself a great weekend. God bless. You too. Take care. Okay. That was a great Lee. All right. We can wait to have him on the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining in for us today on a Sunday. I know today is Super Bowl weekend. The great Lee McDermott. Lee trained martial arts his entire life. He started off with the martial arts, and, and that's you can tell that's what created his, uh, his basis of what his personality is like, which is fortified by compassion, love, honesty, hard work, the ability to work with people, communications. These are the things that martial arts teaches you. And the first thing he noticed, the first thing he mentioned, was the martial arts and how how it changed his life. That's an incredible process. Worked with one of my heroes, Dan Nassanto, great guy. When he was 15 years old, he was 1993. Came to America for three months. Yeah, that's a good time. 1999 moved out here. Stayed. It was great listening to Lee. And the one thing I like talking to people, especially when they're from other countries. I'm a first-generation American. Both my parents came from other countries. But one of the advantages that I find from from talking to somebody who's come here from a different country is they usually have that drive, that thirst, that hunger to be better. You know, when you think about the fact that, you know, they were smart in their country. That's what my mom always used to say. I'm smart in my country. I came to this country, I lost my family, my friends, my this, my that, because I came to a brand-new environment. So to see Lee come over to America and just make a splash right away is such a great thing. And to understand that he's going to continue the work regardless of failure along the way is a great thing as well. It shows a tenacity, a strength. And listen, he's a stunt coordinator. He's a fight choreographer. And he's nice. Wouldn't you think that a stunt co- coordinator should be mean or kind of a, kind of a jerk? Isn't that, is that what was something back of your mind? Because he's fighting? No. Lee's a really nice guy. Six feet down under is, is the trailer, is the series that he did uh, stunt choreography for. He's also acting in the in the series as well. So just come check it out on Instagram, Instagram, on uh, Six Feet Down Under, on Twitter, Six Feet Down Under, and on Facebook, Six Feet Down Under. You can also find Lee McDermott on Facebook on Lee McDermott on Facebook. So just very simple stuff. Very simple stuff. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. I greatly appreciate it. I had a very interesting, interesting week, you know. I don't really talk about myself a lot on this show. You know, I I leave it to the guests. Growing up, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do as an occupation. I knew what I wanted to do as maybe a career, maybe. But I didn't know who I was. And it took me a a while to find out who I was. (laughs) 17, 18 years old, I realized I was a writer, a writer. Novels, books, screenplays, plays, mostly novels. It entered me in a slam. And I thought to myself, this is who I am. I, at the first time in my entire life, I felt like this is who I am. I loved it. I still love it. I joined the martial arts fairly young in my life. I've been in it over 20 years now. I've been teaching martial arts for over 20 years. Now, one of the reasons why I taught martial arts and I and opened up my own schools, two in total, is so that I can continue to write and also teach martial arts at the exact same time. That's, that's my dream. That's, that's my thing. I was a writer before I was a martial artist. So, that's the thing I wanted to focus on for the rest rest of my life, was writing and martial arts. Martial arts on the side. Now, I've been teaching 10 hours a day, 6 days a week for over 20 years. When I was in a wheelchair, and I was in a wheelchair for 2 years, I still taught martial arts out of a wheelchair for 2 years. I never gave up. I never stopped. I never wavered. I never moved. I just kept on teaching. Was it embarrassing? Absolutely. Did people walk in and walk right out once they saw me in a wheelchair? Absolutely. Was I secretly humiliated a bunch of times? Absolutely. Did I keep on fighting? Absolutely. So for me, I have several drives in my existence. The Kung Fu that I've been doing for over 20 years. I mean, listen, if somebody was married for over 20 years, you wouldn't call that person a non-committed human being, would you? I've been teaching martial arts for 10 hours a day, six days a week for two, over 20 years. And in this year, I, I, I got the prestigious award of Grand Master for my, for my Grand Master. It, it's, an amazing, it's been an amazing year. And now I've got Six Feet Down on the coming out very soon, a couple other series, a couple of things I've executive produced, a couple of things that I've written. This has always been the field that I've loved. It's been movies, writing, books, media, what have you. And I wouldn't give up that dream for anything, and anyone. Period. I think I've given a lot to kung fu, and I can, and I'll continue to give more to kung fu for the rest of my life. Kung fu masters—they do not retire. They teach. You know, I have my school out here. I have my school out there in L.A. I'll continue to own my schools and continue to enjoy myself. But I am a writer. I am a writer. I, I am. I am a creator, and I, I love what I do very, very much. And it's a, it's not my dream. A dream is something you you dream of, don't do. It's it's who I am. Like a martial artist, I am a martial artist. What I train is right. What is right works. I am a writer. I am well trained. <laughs> what I write is right. What is right works. So I enjoy it. I enjoy my life. I very, very much love my life. And I hope you love your life too. Just a little piece of advice for me. I've been able to do a lot of things in my life and still enjoy them all. Have I been able to give 100% to all of them? I feel like I have. It's what passion does for you. Passion will drive you to do things that otherwise you would not be able to do or other people would not be capable of doing. My engine runs at, a, at, a, at 100%. I love to do all these things, and this is what I'm going to do the day I die. Teach Kung Fu, write books, write movies, direct movies, produce movies, die old, happy. I think the idea of having to focus on just one pure thing is ridiculous and silly, especially when you think of Kung Fu Masters. And Kung Fu Masters were not just martial artists, by the way. Kung Fu Masters and grandmasters were artists. We're painters. We're writers. We're philosophers. We're doctors. These guys were way more than kickers and punchers. These guys were artists, creators. That's what I've been trying to do. That's what I've been trying to encompass and become is, are these great masters who martial arts is not their major focus. It's 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 who they are and how they progress in this life as a martial artist. It's different. That's different. That's kind of like saying, it's a difference between dating and being married. Dating is, is more of a thing that you decide. Being married is more of a thing you don't decide. It, it's just happening. You made your decision once you got married. When I was young, I made my decision once I, once I started writing and joined the martial arts. I already made my decision. My, my master wanted me to open up my first school. as a first-degree black belt, and I turned him down. I thought I'd be on the writer circuit by now. Little did I know I'd be owning my own schools. Thankfully, I didn't open up my school back then because I would have ruined it. But, <laughs> but I was able to do it later on. And because my master gave me the opportunity to open up my own school and do my own thing, now I have all these great things in my life. And I'm incredibly grateful. So we have Six Feet Down Under coming out really soon. There have a lot of projects coming out very soon. I'm very, very, very happy I've been able to do a lot of things complete them and be extremely happy so I'm very very grateful well thank you very much everybody for being here today on Super Bowl weekend Lee McDermott was our guest today what a great guy Stunt man, stunt cor- co- coordinator choreographer martial artist great man I really enjoy him really enjoy his personality God bless have a great weekend my friend and we'll continue to see him in Six Feet Down Under this series and all his other projects. Listen, everybody, go out there today and love the bunny. Enjoy your day and love the bunny. What does, what does it mean to love the bunny? It means when you look outside today, don't look for anger, don't look for aggression, don't look for anything that would make you upset. Look for that bunny, look for that cat, look for the bunny, love the bunny. The bunny means peace and harmony. If you look at Chinese philosophy, if you look at Chinese horoscopes, it's, it's more about peace and harmony. I was talking about a couple weeks ago about how the difference between L.A. and Colorado are. You look outside in Colorado, you see uh, bunnies go by. In L.A. you see cars go by. It gives you a sense of calm and peace and rest that you didn't have before. It's fantastic. So that's why I say that. Get some rest. Relax. Enjoy your weekend. And thank you for listening to Central Files Radio with your host... That's me, Steve Pisa. Thank you very much for this weekend. From me and mine, to you and yours, have a great weekend. We'll see you next week for a brand new episode. God bless everybody.